episode number 41. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast, lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff with this week's Higher Life Podcast. This week's Torah portion is Vayera, and the subject matter is Ignorance is Bliss for the Ignorant, the Importance of Deep Thinking. A powerful parable about two beggars, a great story about Rav Shach, and peace in your home, three conditions for a successful marriage. And now, the Torah portion of the week, with novel ideas from the classic commentaries. The verses in Vayera, chapter 6, verse 9, starting with verse 9, says like this, So Moses spoke accordingly to the children of Israel, but they would not heed Moses because of the shortness of spirit and hard work. The Ramban explained there, because the hard work was so much pressure, they were not able to hear any idea or reflect upon it. They couldn't think. The verses continue and say, Hashem spoke to Moses, saying, Come speak to Paro, king of Egypt, that he send the children of Israel from his land. Moses spoke before Hashem, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not listened to me, so how will Paro listen to me? And I have sealed lips. So Rashi explains this is one of the ten Kavachomers written in the Torah. A kavachomer is the logic of all the more so. If it's true by the smaller case, so surely it's true by the bigger case. And what Moses was saying, that if the Jewish people won't listen to me, so surely Paro won't listen to me. Now, there are different ways to learn this kavachomer, but the way that Orachim learns that he has a problem. He says it doesn't make any sense. If you put the three verses together, the reason why the Jewish people would not listen to Moses was because of their understandable impatience and pressure. How could we say that if the Jews wouldn't listen because of the pressure they were under, all the more so Paro won't listen? He wasn't under more pressure. In order to answer this question, Rav Miller Gateshead brings the Rambam, who explains in Yad HaZakah that there are three stages to idol worship. First, there was a generation of Enosh who wanted to give kavod, honor, to the forces of nature. They were actually still motivated by a desire to serve God, so they wanted to give honor to his creations, because God uses the stars and planets to influence what happens here on the earth. But he explains it's based on a fallacy. You're not supposed to worship anything but God. There should be nothing between a person and God. It should be a direct relationship. So what that led to was the next stage, where people were saying that the planets and the stars have independent powers of their own which easily led to the third stage, which is they forgot about the original power of God himself. And this is what a Vodazara is, idol worship. Worshiping something instead of God, giving power to some other kind of force instead of the creator itself, not going back to the source of everything. Now we know that power was absorbed in idol worship. That was the whole culture, a culture of idol worship, which we've now defined as not going back to the source, the true source of where things come from. So Rav Simcha Zizel explains that when Aaron threw down his staff and it became a snake in front of Paro and his magicians, so the magicians were also able to make snakes out of their staffs. But in the end, Aaron's snake swallowed up all the other snakes. So it was clear that his miracle was stronger. But in spite of this, it didn't affect Paro. It didn't lead him to the logical conclusion that Aaron's miracle was greater. Paro not only worshipped idols, but he believed that he himself was a god, that he created himself. That's what the Yalkut says. He was a man that was not willing to listen. 
which goes along with the idol worship, which is not looking deeper into things to see the source. And this is what Rev. Dessler explains. He says, the roots of idol worship comes from the unwillingness in human nature to pursue a matter to its logical conclusion. The search for truth has not the passion and urgency that it will drive to the utmost point of discovery. Perhaps the truth is sometimes not pleasant, and a man prefer to stop at a convenient rest house. In this lies the cause of all idolatries and false beliefs of mankind. At some stage in the search for truth, men were contented to pitch their tents, to stifle their sense of wonder, of curiosity, their sheer need to come to the source and cause of existence. So with this, we can understand the Kava Homer, the common denominator between the Jewish people and Paro, was the inability to hear and contemplate what was being said. So if the Jewish people won't listen, surely Paro won't listen. But there's a very deep word of Musa that we can learn from this. It says in Messiah's Hisharm, This is surely one of the tricks of the Eight Sahara, the evil inclination, which relentlessly labors to burden the hearts of people until they are left with no spare moment, either to contemplate or to observe the path they are taking. For it knows, if they would only minimally devote attention to their ways, they would no doubt immediately begin to regret their deeds, and this regret would intensify until they would abandon sin altogether. The evil inclination understands if we start to think about things, we will stop the sin. So the Messiah Hisham continues, he says like this, This is similar to the advice that the wicked Paro, who said, The work should be made harder for the men, that they should be busy to do it, and not talk about common things. His intent was not only to deny them of any space from their work, but also to prevent them upon any reflection by means of ceaseless toil. In other words, this is the work of the evil inclination, to not give us time and space to think about things, to think deeply about things, to contemplate why are we here and what are we supposed to do with our lives. No time for that. And this is all the trick of the evil inclination. But it's a little bit deeper than that, because the reason why we don't want to think about things and contemplate and wonder why we're here is because of the consequences of the answers. Ignorance is bliss. As long as I don't know about it, I don't have to deal with it. And you see this in our society all over the place. Every time a new scientist comes up with some kind of scientific theory that takes God out of the picture. So the theory only goes to a certain point. There's always this point at the end, like the basic matter of what started everything. Oh, that he doesn't think about. That he doesn't deal with. That something was created which led to the creation. He never goes that far. Because he can't deal with something that was created. Because if something was created, there's a creator. Ruth Miller says like this, the evolutionary theory traces man backstage by stage, but there's an inevitable point that comes where inquiry ceases. Primary matter is unaccounted for. The question is unanswerable, and in terms of the theory, it's better not to ask. Thus, men accept systems and theories that suit their own desires. The ultimate questions are not raised. Even logic is not pushed to its conclusion. It's human desire that dictates the conclusions of logic. On the other hand, a religious person, a healthy mind, wants to get to the source of things. They want to reach the rock-bottom truth. There's a desire to understand the source and origin of life. This is a religious urge that pushes a person to strive for the truth, to understand the truth. And even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's going to lead us to conclusions which are going to make us change our lifestyles, make us act differently, because we understand we're doing the wrong thing. We have to emulate the Creator. So the more we get in touch with the Creator, the more we have to change. 
And it's the opposite of a materialistic view of life, which is only local. People only thinking locally. The spiritual person thinks globally, universally. We're so absorbed in the details that we don't see the bigger plan. We're living local. Yeah, what is life about? I'm going to the supermarket, now I'm going to get lunch, now I'm going to the movies. That's life? What about global, universal? We're floating in space. There are stars that are hundreds of millions of light years away. Why are we not thinking about the bigger picture? What are we doing here? Why are we here? And this is all because we don't want to hear the answer. We'd rather be ignorant and live our little lives. So the Orachim explains that the reason why the Jewish people had a Kotzeruach, in impatience of spirits, even under the pressures of Mitzrayim, was it was before they received the Torah. They didn't receive the Torah yet. But if they would have received the Torah already, they would have had such a broad mind that even under the pressures of the reality of Mitzrayim, they still would have been able to think straight. They still would have been able to contemplate the meaning of life and what they're supposed to do. And they would have heard Moshe. So the Rabbeinu Bachi explains the Chokmas Torah, the wisdom of the Torah, and how that brings us to a deeper understanding of life. He brings the verse from Mishlei 8.22. The Lord created me at the beginning of his course as the first of his works of old. He's talking about wisdom. That wisdom was created before the universe. The Pesach in Yov that he brings down says, It is hidden from the eyes of the living, concealed from the fowl of heaven. Who's the fowl of heaven? The ministering angels. Even the angels don't see the Chokmah Torah. This is the wisdom which preceded the creation of heaven and earth. He continues and says, The Torah has informed us that wisdom emanates from a hidden source. The Torah itself was created by drawing on that hidden source. Seeing the Torah originates from that domain, it is called Lekaktov, good instruction. And the ministering angels are envious that it was entrusted to man. It's the Torah itself, it's the wisdom of the Torah that can bring us to the level of understanding and contemplating why we're here or what we're supposed to do. That's how the Messiah Sicham starts. It says Torah leads to Zahirus. The proofs I brought there was from watchfulness, Zahirus. And Torah is the thing that leads to that. Rabbeinu Bachia says, Moshe attained the highest level of insight called Rashis, something not attained by any other living human being. And he explains it's not just prophecy, it was an intellectual achievement. Moshe reached a level even higher than the Avos, than Avram Yitzchak Yaakov. He had a light shining off his head so strong that he had to cover it. People couldn't get near him. So the point is that we don't want to be like Paro. We want to be like Moshe. We don't want to have shallow minds, we want to have deep minds. We want to think to the end to the logical conclusions, no matter how much it obligates us. The truth is the truth. You have to have a tremendous desire to understand the truth, to get to the source, to go deeper and deeper. The Chafetz Chaim explains what does it mean that God hardened Paro's heart. It's not that he took away his free will. His heart was already hard. He just didn't help him. He didn't have siyat nishmaya, help from heaven. So how are we not going to be like Paro? How are we going to not let our petty lives affect us? our perception of reality, to get to the true meaning of life. So Revolbi wants to say the answer is in the Shema, which is what we say twice a day. And he explains the Shema talks about how the heart is integral to our service to God. Rachman Aliba boy, Hashem wants our hearts. If Hashem has our hearts, we're willing to think deeper. We're willing to question our premises. We're willing to change our lives and do whatever it takes to get closer to God. He says, it says in the Shema, Be careful, don't let your heart get swayed. And place these words upon your heart. And do not stray after your heart. The key to success in Avodah Hashem is the ability to have our Torah and Avodah penetrate our hearts. And this is where Paro failed. Even though he had all the plagues. What are the plagues? 
breakdown of reality. Everything he knew to be the way it was was breaking down. Dom Svardaya Kinim. Blood in the water, frogs, lice. What's happening? Oh, reality is breaking down. And he still didn't care. But God forbid it should happen to us. We could have earth-shattering things happen to us so it doesn't change us. I had a friend once who had a life-threatening disease and had an operation and was saved. I spoke to him six months later and asked him how he was. He said, I'm fine. Everything's good. No problem. Life just goes on. He wasn't moved one inch spiritually. Stayed the same. We too are missing the messages that Hashem is sending to us. Hashem is constantly sending us life situations for us to change. We don't hear it. Why well, we don't hear it? Because we don't want to hear it. We'd rather be ignorant and in bliss. So Revolbi says, learn from this week's Parsha. Let life and its messages and God and its creation to penetrate your heart. And then we'll be able to think and contemplate and understand and meditate on what our life is really about and what does Hashem want from us. Here is a powerful parable to open your mind and help you reach your potential. The Magi Madubna says on this verse, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with acts of great judgments. The redemption is going to come with great judgments. There was once two poor people that were going from city to city to collect money, but they were very different from each other. One was big and strong and handsome, and the other was skinny, weak, and ill. So the strong, healthy one always used to make fun of his friend who was skinny and weak and sick. So he always felt bad and he used to pray that one day his dignity should be restored, should get healthy again. So at one time they were traveling to the capital city to try to raise money there. So just last week, the king's physician passed away and also the king's bodyguard passed away. So they were looking for someone to fill the positions. So they found this excellent doctor to be the king's physician and they found another big strong guy to be the king's bodyguard. So the king wanted to test them to see if the doctor was a good doctor and if the bodyguard was a good bodyguard. So they looked for two candidates to test out the doctor and the bodyguard. So these guys were perfect. The, the sick guy they brought to the doctor and the big guy they brought to the bodyguard. So the sick guy, he got all the treatments and he was healed. And the bodyguard beat the heck out of the other guy. So that was the Masha. What's the Nimsha? All the nations of the world who brag about their physical strength and the Jews for thousands of years have been suffering from their persecution and the humiliation. In the end, when the redemption comes, Hashem will bring them down and He will uplift the Jewish people. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. The verse says, Hashem said to Moshe, Say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt. It was specifically Aaron who was supposed to stretch out his hand and not Moshe. So Rashi explains that's because the Nile protected Moshe when he was a baby. So Svi Einstein, the Rosh Shiva of Yesheva Tarsion, used to daven in Panovich, the Rev Shach's Yeshiva, as a Shliak Sibor on the High Holidays. He used to lead the davening. It's a tremendous amount of work to lead the davening on the High Holidays. So every year, Rev Eisenstein used to invite him to the graduation of the Yeshiva that Rev Shach come and speak. Rev Shach was very old at this point. He was close to 100 years old. And Rev Eisenstein went to go invite him to come to the ceremony. He didn't think he was going to come, but he went to invite him because every year he used to invite him. So Rev Shach said, no, my health is very poor and I'm very, very weak. I haven't gone out of the house for months. The only place I've gone is to the yeshiva. I haven't gone anywhere else. So Rev Eisenstein said, fine, you should have a brach, you should have good health. He started to leave. All of a sudden, Rev Shach jumped up and said, no, no, I want to come. He said, I want to show you a car is a tov. He said, I want to show you that I appreciate you 
for all the work you do to daven for the tzibur each year. He said, I'm obligated to have gratitude for you. So he did show up. This was one of Rav Shach's last public appearances outside of the yeshiva. And as he left to go home, exhausted, he turned to Rav Eisenstein and said, I came here for the gratitude I have for you. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. Rav Nachman Dynamite gives three conditions for a successful marriage. I may have spoken on this before, but it's very important to hear it again. A lot of people come to him after the divorce, they want the second marriage, and they don't want the same thing to happen again. He says, you know what, I'm going to show you. <laughs> he says, you know what, I can show you that really your second wife is not going to be any better than your first wife. And it all depends on you. If your conduct is different, everything's going to be different. But he said, these conditions are not easy. The first condition is, you have to have a willingness to change. Everybody grows up in a different household, with different customs, with different ideas, with different outlook on life. And when you put two people together, they're not going to automatically live in harmony. You have to learn to accept the other person the way they are. And you yourself have to change. If you want to advance in life, a person has to grow. We all have to learn not to criticize our spouse and instead take responsibility ourselves. But it's not simple. The husband gets angry and says, I want you to accept me the way I am. And the wife is upset. I want you to love me the way I am. And that's why they always switch the responsibility to their spouse. But if you want to succeed, you have to take responsibility and be willing to change and adapt. But if you want to succeed, you have to stand the value of change. It's very beneficial for a person to grow. The second condition, give without expecting of getting. The life of a Jew is based on giving and not taking. The philosophers all want to say when they build countries, rights and benefits. It's not about rights and benefits. It's about responsibilities and obligations. He gives an example that if a guy were to hire somebody to be a new manager in his business, and the guy comes and says, listen, I have these two conditions. I want to have the right to use the carrot and stick approach. I want to have the ability to fire my people who are working underneath me, and I want to have the ability to give them a little bit more if they're doing a good job. He said, if the boss had any self-respect, he kicked the guy out right away. He said, first, the guy should come, listen, let me work for a couple of years. Let me try my best, and you see how I'm doing, and then little by little, you'll give me more responsibilities. You don't come in asking for power. So as long as your approach is to fulfill your obligation, there's a much greater chance you're going to have peace in your house. Privileges are not demanded. A privilege is created. You have a privilege and a right after you fulfilled your obligations. And the third condition is you have to be highly motivated to have shalom bias. According to your motivation and your value, we spoke about this many times before, a person will have strength and energy. As long as you're really trying, you'll have help from heaven. It has to be your primary concern. He said, for example, if a guy was about to go to work and there was an accident outside his house and somebody had to be brought to the hospital, he would have brought that person to the hospital. And what about work? Same thing, shalom bias. It has to be the top priority. Okay, that's it for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it with your friends and please leave comments and rate me on iTunes. That'll really help. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit rabbiminterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments. 